Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and we have got, uh, a, I think, a very timely interview for you today. Uh, I'm, I'm talking with my friend, Robert Michon, and uh, I, he's got a topic that I think couldn't be any better for where we are in the world right now. Um, if you don't know Robert, he's built a handful of businesses from scratch. He has coached and consulted and advised at least a few hundred businesses from startup to the $100 million mark. Um, at his peak, his clients were doing an excess of $1.2 billion per year annually. And he's worked behind the scenes with many uh, what I would call name brand marketing experts, uh, people like uh, Ryan Levesque and, uh, and Perry Marshall and Ralph Burns of Perpetual Traffic. And uh, he, he's really, like a lot of us, have been through a lot of ups and downs. And, uh, and today we're going to talk about minimizing those ups and downs and helping you stay resourceful. So Robert, I'm excited to be back together again. We hadn't talked in a little while and you, you reached out to me yesterday and, oh. uh, we both got a little bit resourceful to get this scheduled and organized. So, uh, thanks for being here and, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's been a while and uh, it was fun how quickly we were able to put this together. It's always fun to work with somebody who just knows how to get stuff done in times of turmoil. So uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So that's actually our topic is how to kind of be resourceful when uh, the world's upside down. So um, what's the best place to start? I guess I'll get, we'll talk about the lay of the land and, you know, I'm not going to be, let's just kind of establish where we're at right now. Um, you know, the house is on fire at the moment and pretty much for everybody. What's unique about this time is damn near everybody's house is on fire. And if everybody's house and anybody whose house is not on fire, they're at risk. So if you look at the wildfires in California or Australia that happened recently, if you're not caught up in that mess, like you're wondering when your turn's going to come or if you're going to, by the grace of God, you know, dodge this bullet. Uh, but I think the thing that I'm seeing across the board, and I've had conference calls and consultations with people pretty much all over the globe uh, in the last two weeks. And the, the one thing that I'm finding is, one, uh, hardly anybody's performing at their best. Uh, and therefore, anything that you're doing right now is like moving, moving through you know, mud or quicksand. Things are taking at least twice as long as they should under normal circumstances. Getting bodies and attention is more difficult than ever. And just getting people to get their heads straight and start focusing on what's important and urgent, both from the short and the long-term perspective, is very difficult right now. So as an entrepreneur, a lot of that, unless you're really good at working with your team and you have set... You know, things up properly, you're going to find all the holes in your management style. And to the degrees you have these gaps in your management style, you're going to have to carry that load on your back for the, for the, for the time being. So obviously taking care of yourself physically, if you haven't been up to now, uh, you know, now's the time to gently and gradually clean up your diet, make sure you're properly hydrated, set yourself up reminders if you need to, get some exercise. So if you haven't been exercising at all, get out and just take a 10 or 15 minute walk once or twice a day. I recommend more than once a day. So if you've got a half hour to devote, I'd rather see you take two 15 or three 10 minute walks rather than a half hour walk because it helps start your day with a little more energy, break up the day in the middle of it to clean your, clear your head, and then also create a boundary between work and you know maybe returning to your family as a fully engaged person towards the end of the day. So you can use it that way uh, to keep yourself sharp and focused on the moment as opposed to, uh, to being obsessed with what's really going on. 
Yeah, I think one of the, that, that's, a, I think, a really great place to start because we're, we're only as good in business as we are as a human. You know, if we run out of, uh, I, I've really been paying a, attention lately, not so much to managing my time, but to managing my energy levels. Right. And uh, there have been a few times when um, I've just had to stop I, earlier in the week. You know, we, of course, like everybody else in the country, our kids are all home doing school from home now. Right. And uh, I walked out. I'd been on conference calls for like two and a half hours. And I finally just said to, to uh, our son, I said, look, we're going on a bike ride. Let's go. Yes. And uh, we, you know, and just got out and rode some trails for about 30 minutes. I came back and instead of being totally depleted, I, I actually had the energy to go the rest of the day and feel great. So these sorts of things, I mean, they sound like luxuries right now because the house is on fire, as you said, but I think they're really essential. And the, the interesting thing that I've noticed in all of this is that everybody is feeling this sense of panic. Um, and to a certain degree there, there's, you know, some reason to, to feel panicked. Um, and they're feeling this tremendous urgency to try and deal with it quickly right now, but this is at the same time, it's a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah. No doubt. And if we want to merge those metaphors, you know, the house is already on fire. There's nothing we can do to change that. The question is how much of the building can we salvage? Uh, and, you know, I, I, I had a call uh, just today with a sales team that I coach and I said, you know, here's the deal, you know, you have to not only present the ROI case, but you also have to present the long-term case. So, you know, the way you guys are currently having your conversations, which was perfectly appropriate three weeks ago, is no longer appropriate right now. So, for example, in this case, I was saying, listen, here, the house is on fire for these folks. So when your house is on fire, you're focused on getting the fire trucks to your house. You're focused on getting paramedics to deal with the, any injuries that, that are taking place. You're not calling the contractor to put the roof on that's going to replace the one that's on fire right now. That's not what you're doing. So if you're selling in that fashion as is the same fashion as you were before, you're probably not going to sell much and you're going to lose the ones you might've gotten because you're not shifting your conversation to where things are at right now. I don't really want to go in that direction. That would be a different conversation, but what I'd really like to kind of focus on is some practical techniques to help keep yourself on track and, and, and be a, a productive and positive force in organization going forward. Um, I think the first thing you want to think about is look at your schedule, look at your appointments and who you're going to be talking to. And what I'll do is I'll print out my schedule and I'll look at and I'll say, what do I want to have as an outcome inside the meeting? So I want, what do I want the meeting to be like in and of itself? What's the outcome as a result of that meeting that I'm shooting for? And then who do I need to be or how do I need to behave inside that meeting so I achieve those two objectives? You really have to get mindful. You know, Michael Gerber came out with that book, what was it, 25 years ago, The E-Myth Revisited? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something like that, 25, 30 years ago. And from that point forward, entrepreneurs have been beating themselves up because, quote, I'm not working in the business or I, I need to be working on the business, not in my business. So we just beat ourselves up and flog ourselves for not working on the business enough. Well, I think there's something even more important than either two of those, and that's thinking about your business. And there's not a more important time than right now to carve out some time in your day to think about your business before you work on or in the business. 
and you have to be resourceful in order to take take uh, take advantage of that time. Because if you're just in crisis mode, you won't be able to focus your mind enough to think about what's at stake, both in the short and the long term. So uh, let's talk about some of these tactics, if you'd like. And um, I developed, uh, I was working, um, one of the companies I built was dealing with people in extreme financial crisis uh, and doing financial turnarounds for, for people. Uh, a lot of those people were business owners, but it was kind of across the map. And the one thing that was frustrating for me in that business is I could I could create a bulletproof strategic plan and I could show them exactly the tactics they needed to follow. And I could actually walk them through how to do them. But the minute I, you know, Dan Kennedy has said this before, the minute I hand the ball off to them, they would drop the ball and it frustrated mm-hmm. the hell out of me. Uh, not everybody was like that, but when people are in fight, flight, freeze mode, they can't act and they can't act intelligently. It's impossible. We're not, we're wired to act semi-irrationally in those circumstances because it's a matter of survival. So I spent about two years trying to figure out how can I manipulate my clients into acting in their own best interests. And so I developed these tools to help them help themselves so they could actually do what needs to be done in the moment. So um, I, I'm sure a lot of your audience has heard of Dan Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Strategic Coach. Uh, one of the, his um, things that he said that stuck with me for a long time was the most important thing that an entrepreneur needs to do is protect their confidence. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and I said, yeah, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, but I think it's a little bit deeper than that. So his, his methodology or one of his primary strategies for dealing with that or tactics, if you will, was to you know, write down three wins for the day. Thing is, is if you're in crisis mode, your fight, flight, fright, you can't even get there. You can't. You can't count three wins because it's just unnatural and you're not psychologically wired for that. So I said, what's underneath confidence? And the thing that's really lacking in, in, in situations like this is there's a loss of control. It's control that's the basis for confidence. So one of the tactics that I developed kind of on the fly for an entrepreneur that I was working with who was under extreme crisis was said, here's what you want to do. The, the, the problem that you're facing here is you're, you're facing a loss of control. So we're not going to do a gratitude list. We're not going to focus on wins. We're going to focus on control. So what I had him do in the morning, every morning when he got up and every evening just before he went to bed, I wanted him to spend five minutes. So this wasn't a list of three or a list of five, five minutes writing down what he can control. So here's just an example to show you how this works. You get up and out of bed, the alarm goes off or however you wake up in the morning and you're lying in bed. What can I control? What can I decide? Well, I can decide if I'm gonna get out of bed right now or if I'm just gonna lie here. I can decide if I'm gonna stay up, go back to sleep. I can decide if I'm gonna write this list out or I'm just gonna think it through mentally. I can decide if I'm gonna do the list at all. I can decide if I'm gonna go make breakfast now or I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to decide, I can decide if I want to take a shower and when I want to do that. And so the most mundane things that are underneath our control, you take inventory of. And as you begin to inventory those things, your focus starts to shift to what you can control. And as you find out that, wow, I'm in control of a lot of, a lot of things, even if they're seemingly small in the collective, there's a lot of stuff I can still decide. I can still control. And as I focus on that, I become more resourceful. And then I start looking for other opportunities where I can create control or I can either dictate the outcome or set direction. And now I'm becoming more resourceful and I can start acting productively. Yeah. And I, 
the the confidence thing, and um, I don't know if you know this. I'm I'm a strategic coach client, so I know a lot of Dan's stuff. The confidence oh, okay, thing is great. huge. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a huge thing. Um, and I'll I'll tell you, coming out of the 08 to 010 um, time, um, and I went through hell in that time. I mean, personally <laughs> Me and too. professionally. Yeah. Um, there there was not a part of my life that wasn't negatively impacted and, and worst case scenario negatively impacted other than my health during that time. And, um, and one of the things that I learned coming out of that is that, that this idea of confidence is key because if you don't have confidence, you can't act. And, um, a couple of years ago, Sullivan came out with a book called the four C's. And this is, this is sort of his, more up-to-date thinking on confidence and, and, and it might be relevant here. So he breaks it down into a four-step process to, to develop confidence. And it starts with a commitment. So you make a commitment to do something. And then generally you're going to make a commitment to do something that you don't have the capability to do yet. So it's scary. And you've got to have courage, which is the second C to kind of step into the breach in an area where you don't have, confidence, you don't have capability, you develop the capability as you have courage to kind of press forward. And as you then master that capability or gain that capability, now it creates confidence. Um, and that makes a lot of sense to me as a, as a working process to create confidence. Is that I was sitting here thinking of what you're describing, that you're, you're actually describing how you build the capability of getting control of, over your life again. Right. And you start with these little things. Right. And you what start was the making, first C in the, in the Sullivan model? To, commitment. This is my first exposure. Commitment. Okay, commitment. great. So you make a commitment yeah. to do something. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I really, uh, and again, I might change my opinion after digesting that and thinking about it for a little while. I still feel like the first C is control because if you don't, you know, uh, New Year's resolutions is kind of a commitment and then it just falls apart. Uh, so I feel like in a, in a time like this, if we put the, if we focus on the control first, then we can make the commitment in good faith because now we we know there are things we can do and we can act on, even if we're just bringing a better attitude to the situation where there's a, a likelihood that we'll follow through with the commitment. Sure. But I like I, his models are so good. I mean, they stick with you for years. He's he's, well, they, he's a wonderful teacher. And they make you think. I think that's the point of all of this and, and of our conversation today is for everyone listening, you've got to be thinking right now. And I think that's one of your, your points here is if you're not really thinking both about um, about your business, but about how you're approaching things at the micro level and at the macro level, it's going to be hard to get through this. Right. Right. So stepping forward from establishing control, I think another thing to think about and ask yourself is who do I need to be under these circumstances and who does my team need me to be during these circumstances? I mentioned going through your calendar and, you know, segmenting based on each step or each meeting or each activity that you're taking place in you know, what the outcome inside and as a result of that, uh, that activity is, as well as what you need to bring to the table. But in general, my, I uh, started working in hospitals when I was in college. So I worked in the ER and most of the people there are, are adrenaline junkies. And they all felt like they performed, performed well under pressure. And the fact is most of them didn't. Most of them were a disaster. Faster, but they were addicted to that adrenaline pump of somebody coming in who's not breathing, who needs to be innovated. They need to start the IV and they need to take vitals and they need to keep this person alive during that golden hour in order to actually have a chance at survival. 
but most of them were a train wreck um, in that regard. And so the thing that I found is even though I was uh, a relative situations, and I found that if I just strove to be the that would make everybody perform better. So I don't know what your team needs from you, but if you strive to provide that for them, that'll give them a floor uh, uh, to stand on. So something that's solid and that it can count on you for, establish some equilibrium so they can get their bearings and start to become more productive in the moment. Uh, with that, I think another thing I'd like to look at is um, Obviously, life has changed, and nobody really knows how this is all going to play out. But well, one thing that's certain is we know that life's going to be different going forward. We just don't know how it's going to be different. And everybody's making predictions now about, oh, this is forever changed, and things will never be the same. And you know, who knows if that's true or not? Interesting to speculate about. But uh, the one thing that we have lost what we had. We've lost a way of life. Uh, it, even if it's temporarily. And so whether it's conscious or not, right now we're going through an, a grieving process. And I know this from the work that I did when I was doing financial turnarounds. You've lost something that you used to have, whether it was certainty or control or any other things, predictability day to day. There's something about what used to be that you've lost. So the thing I'd encourage people to do is figure out what the heck that was. So I wrote down a couple of thoughts for how you could kind of pin that down and identify what it is. So before all this stuff went down, you know, write down a few things to describe what life was like before the proverbial shit hit the fan. You know, what did you regularly do or see that you can't do now? You know, if you're sheltered in place, can't go to the gym, can't get your hair cut, there's a lot of things you can't do. You know, what other people have deemed non-essential is no longer available to you. And maybe to you, it was essential. So what is no longer available to you now? And then, uh, you know, on a scale from one to 10 previously, you know, how predictable, how predictable was life for you at that stage? And then now kind of come back into now and like, how would you rate it now? So if your, your comfort level or your certainty level was, you know, an eight out of 10 back then, you know, then like, what is it now? And I think the thing that you want to look at is like, what have I lost right now uh, as a result of the way things are? And then realize that you're going through a grieving cycle, whether you recognize it or not, for the losses that you've incurred. Now, the one thing I've worked with a lot uh, is the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Roth, uh, Ross grief cycle. Uh, and since... You know, you and I are actually here um, via um, Zoom. I'll just kind of show it to you as I walk through it. But, there, you know, a lot of people have heard of the stages of grief or grieving. And, there, you know, the first stage is denial, avoidance, confusion, elation, shock, and fear. Anger is the, the next stage, frustration, irritation, anxiety. Depression is the kind of the bottom of the uh, inverted bell curve. Overwhelmed, hopelessness, hostility, flight. Then bargaining, struggling to find meaning, reaching out to others, telling one story. And then acceptance, exploring options, new plan in place, and moving on. Now, the thing that I observed on a day-to-day -day basis is there's a belief here that this is a, like a, 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 you know, you go through from stage one of denial and then the very next stage is anger and then the very next stage is depression and you kind of move forward through the cycle and that's not it at all. What I end up seeing is there's, a, there's an old prices right game. I think it's called Plinka or something like that. And there's different categories at the bottom and they drop a ping pong ball down and then it bounces around all over the place and you finally find out what your end result is. 
with the Kubler-Ross grief cycle, what I find is it's the same kind of dynamic. You start, maybe you start in denial. It's usually where people start, but then you could hop the bargaining and go to anger and then you're back to denial. You're going to be all over the map during this, this time frame. And the one thing uh, I kind of, mer- I, I kind of merge things that maybe don't belong together to find a new way of articulating things and dealing with problems like this. And there's a Soren Kierkegaard line that says, once you label me, you, you negate me. And so I thought, well, Hey, why don't we go back to the, the Kubler-Ross grief cycle and just identify where I am right now and then just label it. And just by labeling it kind of gives you some peace of mind that you at least know where your head is at. And then you can say, all right, well, this is where I'm at. And it just relieves a lot of that tension and it makes some of that stuff melt away so you can get back to work and start being productive. So I think if you have, if your listeners have a chance to look up the Kubler-Ross grief cycle and just print those things out or just have it available and then, do a, a, a periodic check-in. Now, it's up to you how often you want to do this, but one of the one of the helpful traits, but also double-edged sword for most members is they have a very thick skin, like you and I. Uh, we've we've uh, we've been through some awful circumstances over the years, and we've been some, through some great times. But as you plod forward as an entrepreneur, you have a tendency to develop a thick high and a high pain tolerance. And you tend to ignore stuff that other people kind of whine about. And I think that's at some of what is, what's at the core of these, you know, the snowflake c- criticisms that we hear from time to time. But I don't think it's healthy in all, in all regards, especially at a time like this. Uh, in, in psychology, there's a concept called SRUs, which are self-regulatory units. And they talk about it. It's basically self-control. And they say you start the, start the morning with a full tube of toothpaste. And then you walk outside the door and it's raining and, you know, you thought it was going to be sunny. And that, that squirt, you know, that squirts a little toothpaste out of the tube. Then you get in your car and you realize that, you know, your, your spouse or significant other left it with an empty tank. And now you're already behind. You're going to be late for, you know, getting wherever it is you need to go. Then somebody cuts you off in traffic. It squirts out a little bit more. By the time you get home, then that's why people like binge or mask or um, inebriate themselves towards the end of the day because they've run out of SRUs and they're just trying to cope. Um, and then we end up snapping at our family members when we get home or whatever it might be. So this is a way for you to actively pay more attention to these things so you can start eliminating them. So what I suggest people do, you can, you can set up an Evernote, you can set up a Gmail account or wherever you would like to store these things and then set yourself a reminder throughout the day. I recommend a minimum of three times a day. You check in, you just say, what's bothering me? What's bothering me? Or how am I feeling? How am I feeling right now? And just write it down, not because you're trying to become hypersensitive, but you're trying to become aware of what really bothers you so we can start eliminating these things. Then if you'll just label where you're at right now, that relieves a little bit of that tension. And so some of that anxiety or frustration or irritation will subside just by labeling it. Now, I didn't realize this at the time, but I found out several years later that this is actually a meditation technique in one of the sects of Buddhism where you know, you're supposed to clear your mind and focus on your breathing. And then when a thought comes in, you just label it thinking. I didn't realize that was a technique. So I didn't invent anything new. I just kind of changed the application of the languaging here. But I found in working with people, if they'll use this technique to heighten their awareness to what's driving anxiety or discomfort in their day-to-day, and then they can address those things as they catalog them. So review them on a weekly basis and say, okay, what are the trends here? What am I running up against that's constantly giving me a, a hassle here? And what action steps can I take to reduce it? But in the moment, as you identify it, you can just label it so you can continue to move on. So, oh, okay, I'm in anger mode. Great. I recognize that. Let a little bit of that go and I keep moving on. 
Yeah, I think, you know, one of the real dangers here, and, and I, I ran into this in uh, really in, in the latter half of 09, um, going through that experience. It's so easy if you if you don't externalize the the, the thoughts and the feelings that bubble up, the, particularly the really stressed negative stuff. If you don't have a way to externalize that, it it begins to take up all of the clock cycles in your brain, and yep. that's all you can focus on. You get frozen in the moment, and you can't actually make any progress. And I mean. I don't, I don't mean that on the big macro level. I mean, like you could get stuck just sitting at your desk, staring into space going, what the hell am I going to do now? And that isn't really helpful. Um, you know, and if, if we go back to our burning house metaphor, you're going to burn down with the house. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think there's tremendous value in being able to do exactly what you're talking about. Take that thought, put it somewhere, you know, put it in, put it in a box that you're going to go and look at at some point and that way your brain can let it go and know, okay, there's, you know, all right, I've acknowledged that and, and that's where it's at. And I know when I'm going to get back to it so you can keep moving forward because we've all got an awful lot of work to do right now to, uh, to kind of continue and building and, and to rebuild things that have been lost. So. Yeah. Yeah. You need, you need to become hyper aware of your resourcefulness right now because it's in short supply, both in you and everyone else. Uh, so and what, if you can what, model a calm, other folks will start to follow you as well yeah. without really having to say anything directly. Yeah. So let, let's talk for a minute about this word resourcefulness. When you, when you use that word, what do you mean? What does it mean to you? Clearing your mind sufficient so that you, you can actually think about things instead of just responding and reacting. So you can respond thought, thoughtfully and mindfully as opposed to reflexively. If you respond through reflex, hopefully your reflexes are trained and well honed, but most cases they're not. Yeah, see, I I would agree with that, and and in in my mind, there's there's an additional kind of assumption in the word resourcefulness, and that's that you have resources. Mm. And um, and I I believe that we've all got resources. I mean, all isn't lost. All is not going to be lost. It's just different. One of the things that I've been repeating on the podcast and, and with our clients is that um, the opportunity isn't gone. It never, it, it's never gone in, in any of these cycles, but it does get up and move. Right. You know, and we know that it, it doesn't go away because after every one of these cycles, there's a boom. Yep. So it's there, but you got to figure out where it went to. And it causes all of this chaos while you're, while we all collectively try and sort that out. So we all have resources. And I think what I'm learning from this conversation is that the way that the way to maximize the resources that you have right now, even though you've lost a lot and the way to go find the ones that you need going forward is to, to clear your mind enough to be able to think because that, that's the way you're going to move forward out of this. And it's not running around. This is just my take from, from listening to you. It's not running around being panicked and being busy. It's actually taking care of yourself, doing the things you should have been doing all along, pausing long enough to think and sort this out critically. Yep. yep. Am I getting it? 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, yeah. And I, I'd love to actually talk about a couple more things. If we've got a few more minutes here, I'd love to cover them. If yeah, you like. let's do it. All right. So a couple things that I think will be helpful here. I've, I've, I've covered a couple things to become more resourceful. But then I, the other thing else is like, what do I think about? I mean, most of the entrepreneurs I work with are high quick starts in Colby uh, language. Okay. And they're not big into thinking. They'll talk things through and their brain spins so fast that they're never at a loss for ideas. And then they end up whipsawing their team, et cetera, et cetera. But setting all that aside, like how should you think or what should you think about? And I think in a time like this, there's two things that I would suggest you focus on, provided you've done what we talked about before. Because if you don't do what we talked about before, you're not in an optimized state and you really need to be in a resourceful state before you can start thinking clearly. So please do those steps, whichever one works for you. They're not all going to work, but experiment with these things and try to find something that's workable for you and make it your own. Having done that, a couple things I would suggest you look at. Number one, what have I been tolerating up to this point that I can get rid of now based on the way things are? Now, I'm going to have some direct talk about what some of those things are. Uh, one of my clients had an underperforming salesperson and there was just no helping this guy. He just wasn't going to get it. They kept him on the payroll for probably eight to 10 months longer than they should have. Well, they had to fire some folks. They got rid of them. Now, going forward, I'd suggest take a healthier approach when dealing with people who are underperforming. You got to either identify that they're not performing well. And if they're the right fit from a culture and maybe ability standpoint, then redeploy those people so they're actually helping the company as opposed to hurting it. And I want to talk about this just a little bit because I think this is important. A lot of people, I mean, if, if you've got a good heart and a good soul, one of the toughest things to do is fire somebody. And so we often let these things go on for too long. But the question I have is this. If you've had children or if you've been around children, about how old do they have to be before they know that you're not telling them the whole truth? What would you say, Steve? Uh, they don't have to be very old. I'd four, five, six, somewhere yeah, in that that's range. That's normally what I think. I, I, normally I hear like three, four, or five, some as young as two, depending on how precocious they are. So if you're telling me that a three, four, five, six-year-old child can see that you're not being forthright with them, what do we think that when somebody comes becomes an adult, they, they lose that ability to detect that you're not being forthright with them? People might even not consciously know that you're not being truthful with them, but there's something wrong that they can't put their, their finger on and they're at a loss as to what the thing is. And because you haven't had the courage to have a conversation or haven't grabbed the tools and how to effectively structure that conversation, this thing just, you know, it just stews and it just gets worse. By the same token, it brings down the morale of the true performance and, you know, the people that are properly deployed. I think everybody's got A player potential if they're properly deployed. Maybe there's no place in your company for them to thrive. And if there's not, the cruelest thing you can do to a human being is keep them in a situation where they're the weakest link and everybody else knows it. Either, either everybody knows it and they are not aware of it or they're aware of it, but they're still hanging on because they don't know what else to do. These folks need some guidance. So now's a great time for you to like find a new way in a gentle way to offload some of those people. If you can't keep them. Uh, well, number two, yeah. go ahead. You have something to say. I, well, I was just going to say, I, I, I understand. Uh, I had to fire my, my first person. I was like 26, 27 years old, brand new in business. Um, hardest thing I ever did still, every time I have to do it and think I haven't had to do it in a while, difficult thing. What I kind of came to in that, and I, and I think this is important because we're going to go through a time here where 
exactly what you're talking about is happening. And we're going to come out of this and we're going to make the same mistakes again. If you keep somebody that you know shouldn't be on your team, I think that's immoral because basically what you're telling them is I'm not, I don't have the guts to have the conversation with you that I should have. So I'm going to keep you here where you have zero growth potential as a human being and zero growth potential in income because you're not a fit for us, but I'm not going to free you to go do what you need to do. So I'll, and, I'll leave it at that. Zero, but, yeah. And zero respect from, from your colleagues and your direct report. Yeah. Right. I mean, the yeah. fact is people respect someone less if they're struggling and continue to struggle and doesn't get better. I mean, it's yeah. just absolutely, it's, you're torturing that person and you're right. You said immoral. Yeah. I said cruelest thing you can do. However you want to characterize it, it's not fair to them. So I guess if, if it's, if it's, you know, getting over the humps, you can emotionally bring yourself to the point. I, hopefully this discussion will have helped forward that case. Mm -hmm. If it's difficulty in having that conversation, there are resources out there for how to have this in a constructive manner where you can maintain your equilibrium, but just point out the facts of the matter and then figure out with them. Mm -hmm. Can we find a way for you to stay? And if so, what might that be? Or how can we ease your way into the next thing? You know, whether it's providing them referrals. I mean, you know, if they're, if, if, if they're totally not a fit and you, you know, they're unethical. I don't know what you're doing, keeping them around. But I mean, barring that, you should have something nice to say about them. And you could probably imagine a position or a situation where they could thrive. So help direct them to that. And maybe you can grease the wheels by pro providing some introductions, but to, to allow them to twist in the wind is well, awful. And, and here's where this is. I mean, this time that we're in, and, and then we can move on from this point, but I, I think it's important. The time that we're in right now is going to force people to make those decisions that they've been putting off, that they didn't have the courage to, yes. to pull the trigger on. And you're now in a position where the, you know, because of, of what's going on in the world, you can't give them a soft landing. You can't give them a brighter future when you could have done it before. And, and you really right. missed your opportunity to, to do the human thing and get them in a place where maybe they could succeed. So um, I, I have fairly strong feelings on this. Uh, if you can't tell, Me too. but Me uh, too. anyway, yeah. So anyway, look at, so whether it's people or other things, what are you, what have you been tolerating up to now that this is a perfect time for you to bring that up and get that out of here? Cause you can't afford any more, you know, uh, dendritis or, you know, uh, barnacles on your back. You don't, you can't afford dead weight. You got to cut whatever dead weight there is. And those irritations or those chronic problems, get those out on the table and get those handled now. So you can free up the energy so you can do what needs to be done to take advantage of opportunities. If you're bogged down by obligations and problems, you don't have enough free energy to explore opportunities. The next question, which segues really into my next question. My next question is what does this current situation make possible that was no longer possible before? So one of the things we're seeing in quote real world, which I don't necessarily consider myself a part of in most cases, but <laughs> in the real world, you know, we've been deluged with bureaucracy and red tape when it comes to, you know, med the medical industry is just bogged down with all sorts of restrictions and it takes you know, it takes an infinite amount of time to try to get something to market now. And now all of a sudden we're just fast tracking stuff. Now there are some dangers in that. And believe me, there's some real decisions to be made ahead about how those things will be deployed and what happens when, you know, new ventilators break down because they haven't been properly tested, but that's a whole nother ball of wax. But ask yourself, what is possible now that wasn't possible before? And how can we start moving in that direction? And whether that's opening up a new market, uh, you know, maybe your, maybe your product or service is applicable to a, 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 
set of customers that you had never considered before. Maybe you have to develop, develop new offerings. Maybe you've had ideas on the back burner that you'd never had the time to look, look, at, look at or even act on. Pull those things out of whatever your backlog is and say, hey, which of these things like are perfect for now? You'll probably, if you've been doing a good job of keeping track of your best ideas, there's probably some gold in there. If you just pull it out, dust it off, look at it, say, okay, hey, there's maybe there's a way we can get this thing to put this thing out into the open and see what happens. Um, the one thing I've noticed is that the people that are thriving right now in the moment are very, un they've become unattached from what was, they've detached themselves from what was to whatever degree they can. And they've detached themselves from their attachment to appearance. Your hair is going to get a little long if you don't get a haircut and maybe you're not going to look your best on a zoom call as you would have otherwise. But I think if you just let go of the idea of needing to look professional at every turn and just go towards the chaos, dive in, see how you can be of help to your customers. It's not going to be polished. It's not going to be pretty. But if you provide, if you start running some experiments here and having some conversations with either your customers or new customers, you're going to find opportunities to help. And then you'll be able to invest those energies that you freed up through these processes into doing something productive. This could be, you know, the one thing that it's fun to look at is, is you know, six to 12 months from now, looking back, on this, you know, this could be the turning point in your company. You may have been facing constraints up to now that are going to be removed in the future. And this could be the point where you look back, you know, it was the worst of times, it was the best of times, but this is the turning point that created this company that we're happy to be a part of and is growing and thriving now because we've cut a lot of this dead weight free. Well, I tell you, I was just on with a, a client earlier today um, and uh, he's an EOS implementer. Mm -hmm. uh, traction, you know, sure. Wickman, that whole thing. Yep. Um, and, and up till now has only been working with companies in his local area. Mm -hmm. And he did his first zoom, uh, delivery of a, of a workshop because he's in the workshop business. That's what they do. Yep. And immediately made the decision after that. He's now going to only he's the coming out of this, they're only going to deliver virtually. He just expanded his market to at least all of the United States, if not the entire globe. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. That's I know. Talk about an expansion. <laughs> you know, now, I mean, obviously he's not going to touch every company in the United States that way. It's not at that scale, but, but the change in thinking happened. This is something that he wasn't looking at, didn't want to do all of that. Did it, got the opportunity to try it. It worked well. And now it's opened all of this up. And, and those are the things that are out there right now. How long had you been talking to him about doing this? Uh, they've been a client for, uh, I haven't pushed it hard mm -hmm. because he'd been pretty resistant. Um, Imagine in the that. conversations we've had, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge opportunity. I mean, the, and, and you see a lot of businesses like that. I got another client, who has built their business and converts their clients. They do big corporate sales. And the way that they get clients is they get the CEO of their target company and some of the executives to a live in-person two-day conference. Mm. Well, guess what? In the last three weeks, we've moved all that stuff online. Fantastic. And, you know, now the conversations are, wow, I wonder if we could do this going forward. Maybe at some point we bring some of those other events back, but if we could, do them virtually and more frequently, we could probably close more people. Yeah, exactly. So there's all kinds of ways that you can find through this. You know, they say necessity is the mother of, of invention. Yep. You just got a heaping helping of necessity. Thanks to 
you know, the coronavirus. So. I, I will add one other thing. Uh, I think it's critical that you get somebody who's not at the scene of the fire to talk through some of these issues. Yeah. Now, obviously, for people that uh, engage with you uh, on a client basis, it's perfect. But you've got to have somebody that's been battle-tested, has seen some ups and some downs and been through this thing, that they can kind of look at this from a semi-detached viewpoint and help you process your ideas, bounce things around and kind of triage and identify, all right, well, based on where you're at and what you've got access to in terms of resources, these are the highest probability experiments you should be pursuing. And for most people, it shouldn't be just one thing unless it's abundantly clear, like some of the things you've talked about, but usually it's two or three things. You're going to put those two or three things out into play. Good news now, you don't have to be very polished. People are very forgiving about appearances now. So just get something out into the market, make some offers, do a little research, put some things into play. Some of those things aren't going to work out. No big deal. Nobody's going to remember them in this turmoil either. That's the other thing. I think a lot of people are afraid to do new things because they think the entire market's going to remember, you know, that they screwed this one thing up. Nobody's going to remember any of this. It's going to be like a dream. So you, you've got license now to experiment at a high volume, at a furious pace. And if you'll do that, you'll find a winning combination and uh, it's going to make for a brighter future. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. And uh, and for any of our clients listening, we've got a method for doing that so that you don't have to uh, sort of put it out to the whole world. You can put it out just to the people who are interested. So there you go. Very easy to do. There you go. Yeah. So, Robert, this has been fantastic. I've uh, I always enjoy our conversations. You're one of the deepest thinkers that I know, and you've got some some great perspectives on this. Uh, If folks want to find out more about you or get in touch, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, you'll laugh because I've been accused of being in the witness protection plan. I'm very difficult I know. to find. Uh, right? <laughs> uh, really, the best place, to, the only place to really find me is Facebook these days. And you and I are friends. So if they look up Robert Michon, it's M-I-C-H-O-N, they can find me here. Hit me up with a PM if there's something that you feel like I could add value on. Um, I'm one of those people. Uh, I'm a big fan of the book range because like I'm that guy. I've done a million things. I've worn a lot of hats. And now I know which hats I shouldn't wear and which hats I should. But uh, I'm not this guy who you can say, oh, he's the Infusionsoft guy. I'm like, tell me what you're, in fact, my shtick right now, and, and I think it's the best description of what I do. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me how you're going about it. I'll tell you how to do it faster, easier, cheaper, with less struggle. That's really my thing. Um, so if that might be useful to you, find me on Facebook. I'm friends with Steve on there on that platform, and it should be pretty easy to find. Yep. Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks for uh, investing a little time with me. This has been uh, a lot of fun and, and very enlightening. My pleasure. I'm excited about what's ahead. So uh, keep plugging. Thank you.